Welcome to this episode of the Comedy Defect Podcast. My name's Winter Fonander. I'm a comedian. This is my show. So welcome to the show, guys. This is episode 47 with a very scientific and very funny Robin Perkins. I met Robin a few years ago at a gig, and she's a lovely person and very funny too. She emcees regularly at Angel for Barry Ferns, and she also runs two of her own nights. She's also previewing her show around the country in London Edinburgh, and also Brighton. The dates for Brighton are the 18th, 19th, and 20th, and that is at 5.45 in the Blue Man. That is the 18th, 19th, and 20th in the Blue Man at 5.45 in Brighton. If you want to come see her in London, she's also doing her show on July 9th at the Four Thieves in London. That's July 9th at the Four Thieves in London. And you can see the time for that on her website, which is robinperkins.com. You can also follow this podcast on Twitter at The Comedy Defect. You can follow me at Winter Phone Under. You can also follow my live stand-up gig dates, which are on my website, which is winterphoneunder.com. Now, if you want to support the podcast, you can. You can go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast. You can donate as little as a pound or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. And those of you that do donate, thank you, because you're paying for the people that can't. And those of you that can't, look, just share your favourite episode, tell your friends about it, or go to the iTunes website and leave us a nice, honest review, because it tells people where we are and what we're doing. I'm also still looking through that Guinness Encyclopedia and taking as many jokes as I can out of that encyclopedia and putting them up on Twitter under the title, The Book Dad Read. And the Twitter handle for that is at Guinness Jokes. I'm going to get on that. This podcast, as I said before, was weekly, but now, after the 50th episode, it's going to be reduced to one or two a month. And the updates for those, you can find them on the Comedy Defect Facebook group. The other guests will still be coming on the show, but at a reduced rate, because I'm just so busy with other stuff at the moment. This is a great episode with a very funny, incredibly likeable Robin Perkins. Enjoy. Robin Perkins, Hello. welcome to the Comedy Defect. How are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. What have you been up to? <laughs> Today or in life? In life, or... in general. In general, in comedy. What have you in been doing? In comedy. I have been working on a show called Robin's Bad Decision Time. That's my current show that I'm working on, which is very exciting. I am starting to look at my scientific mind and how that affects my day-to-day existence. Mm-hmm. So that is the current situation in comedy. I feel, I feel like <laughs> this is way uh, too broad of a... Let just jump in there. Oh, I don't know. Go. No, it's fine. Look, so you're, you're, a, you're a scientist by trade. I'll tell you my life history. Go how about it. that? So I, from the age of six, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Oh, yeah, go on. Worked my whole life to do it, have a degree in that, still am involved in a charity, but then decided it wasn't creative enough, so I got a master's in architecture, then was an architect for a while, which is what brought me over to this country, and then about five and a half years ago, on a whim, took a comedy course, and I've been doing comedy ever since. So my background is both science, architecture, and now comedy. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I say, I'm looking around your flat and it's amazing the spaces that you've created. You've like just managed to use every ounce of space in your entire flat here. It's amazing. I'm loving it. It's just great. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have a, a shipping container and I thought, well, I've got my things nailed down, right? You know, because after I moved in with my wife, I was like, oh, great. I need some space. And there's no space there because she's got two kids and the mom. So I'm like, 
and the dogs were like, there's no space whatsoever, but I think I might need to make more use of the space in my container. This is just amazing. You've got like a projector here in your bedroom and you've got like wood cladding there at the back. It's not the right word, but that'll do. But okay, right now, but I'm, I'm just excited about what you've kind of like done with this place. We've done with this. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this has become like a, a review of your house now, which is great. But, but, like, the point. <laughs> but, no, but, like, but the thing is now, the marine biology, right? What uh, triggered you to, to do that? Initially, yes. I just loved whales and dolphins. But that was when I was five years old and I thought cool. that's what marine biology was, cool. was whales and dolphins. So, yeah. But then everything, my whole life, every book report had some nautical theme to it. When we chose countries or places to write reports on, they always had to do with coral reefs and Belize. And, yeah, so, and every animal was always an ocean animal. And then, yeah, my whole life, just everything was geared towards that. That was one of my things. I wanted to actually. I wanted to be a marine biologist as well, uh, but I only got triggered because if I saw the film Jaws, I was like, "Oh, it's going to be all about sharks." Oh and no. no, I have not seen Jaws. <laughs> I don't do scary movies, right. not at all. Right. Like nothing. Yeah. Uh-uh. Nope. Like, it was amazing, mm. but, but then I think I held on to it. I saw the microbiology aspect of it, and that didn't excite me. So. That's why I moved away from it. <laughs> algae and uh, more algae and... Uh, yeah, my thesis like. was on the effect of UVB light on HSP70 in the diatom Thalassiosira pseudonana. Yeah, right. I believe it. I say diatom. Was it a, It was either a dinotom or a dinoflagellate. Which is embarrassing that I don't remember. <laughs> One of the two. But in any case, it was all about heat shock proteins. And like I got a really great response mm. and findings. But then I was like, this is... Like, just do it one more time and you can publish a paper. And I was like, or oh, I could quit right mm. now. Did you, you finish the degree and you moved to architecture? Or? Yeah, I did. So I did two years of a master's in architecture. Yeah. And then I moved schools and got a master's in landscape architecture. So after I graduated, the chair of my department was, was like, you should go work with this woman. And she had an office in London and an office in Boston. Mm. And so I told her that I wanted to move to London. So I came. Worked with her for me for a while, and she's one of the top landscape architects wow, in the world. Uh, excellent. And then I was on a site visit in Finland and was told over the phone that my whole office was being made redundant because oh. this was 2009 and things were not great. So then I sold out, went corporate. <laughs> Which, so I could stay in London, mm. which was fine because I worked on the 2016 Rio Olympic Park right. as well, which was amazing. And then after that, it just got way too corporate and I started stand up and decided mm. that's what I wanted to do. I kind of quit two years ago. Oh. May, well, my day job, but I've never technically quit. I just kind of took a sabbatical for three months and never went back. Right. <laughs> so you're like, I'll be back later, just having a bit of time off. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Still, just started researching some designs, it's fine, yeah. Yeah, I know. Mm. So I should probably quit at some point. Mm. But I just kind of was like, oh, well, if stand-up doesn't work out, I want to go back. But at this point, mm. I don't have an email address. They've taken me oh, off. No. Like, I, I'm done. You, so you're full-time stand-up now? Yes. Full-time. Yeah. So what's your mission for the next year, apart from writing your hour show? I broke my ankle in December. Yeah. Which was a had pre-existing injuries. So beginning in December, I got neurovirus followed by tonsillitis, followed by breaking my ankle all within like three or four weeks of each other. Then I was on bed rest for two months. I haven't been able to walk. So I lost out on a big chunk of time. As such, I am not doing my first hour this year. Right. So I'm doing 45 minutes again at the Fringe, just trying to figure out 
what I am doing, mm-hmm. but I've been working on it. It's a show called Robin's Bad Decision Time. Yeah. Fitting that a bad decision is what caused me to not write the show. I think that's irony. <laughs> not totally sure. Because <laughs> I had already had ankle injuries, so five hours before I flew back from the States, I was mm. like, I'll go ice skating! Yeah. What could happen? Oh, and man. then that happened. It's been a good mm. show. It's about quantitative versus qualitative self-worth, okay. is what it is looks at my family and how my dad is a very engineering math science based brain and my mom who is very not based in logic and all emotion how mm. those two minds have shaped my decision making mm. process and going through life deciding to do things that are half based on emotion and half based on scientific theory mm. but not a normal way and looking at where those personality traits come from but then also not just my decision making process but also how I value myself. Right. It's been interesting realizing a lot about myself writing the show as well, going, I'm really confident in all the things about me that I can measure, mm-hmm. like my brain. I can go, I have a master's from the best school in the world. Check. Like, I got these marks. Check. Like, I know I can swim this fast. Mm-hmm. I know that my boobs are the perfect size. Like, like mm-hmm. really, anything that you can quantitatively measure, I have confidence yeah. in. And then everything that you can't, like... The ability to have a not psychotic text message banter with a member that you're interested in. Yeah. No, I, you can't. There's no right or wrong answers to that. There's no like, this yeah. is the proper text. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably things that I shouldn't do, like not text back 15 times. It's That's chaos, pretty quantitative. Oh my yeah. God, it is ridiculous. Yeah. You don't know how it's going to go. You're like, oh, that's why it's so stressful getting the yeah. reply text. There's no it. right or wrong answer. Mm. It's just personality. And so that's yeah. that aspect of my life, yeah. I yeah. have no confidence in. But I think everyone struggles with that, doesn't it? Everyone struggles with that personality. Well, oh, I don't know. There are some people who are very confident about their personality mm. and don't have good reason to be. Yeah, but do you think they're just putting a good front on? All right, you know when you see people that get off stage, there's there's two types of comics. There is the comic that gets off stage and is like, yeah, that was good. Mm. Yeah, no matter what. They right. could have stormed, like, like, could have died, whatever, good. Then there's the comic that gets off stage and goes, how do I make that better? Mm. Like, how, what did I do wrong there? How mm. could I, oh, uh, yeah, like, they could have stormed it, but they could have gone at about five minutes, uh, 30 seconds in, I said that, and that was, I stumbled over a word. Mm. And there's those two kinds of mentalities. Yeah. And I think the former, the, yep, stormed it every mm. single time, done it, great. Mm. Some, I think a lot of times there are people out there that don't know that they are anything different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they're just locked in their head. They're like, yeah, this everything. My reality is amazing. My reality is the exactly. best thing. Yeah. That's... So when did you start? End of November 2011 was my first gig. And why did you start? It looked fun. It looked fun. You're just like, oh, I just want to do this. Yeah. Well, I can, just I can try do it. This. No, no, no. I, well, I did a comedy course. Yeah. So just did the course on a whim. It looked fun. First mm. time I held a mic, first day of the course, we were supposed to just talk for a minute about us. Not be funny, just talk. And I remember calling my sister after the course and being like, in one way or another, I will be doing this for the rest of my life. That's great. Whose course did you do? Chris Head. Ah, fantastic course. Mm. Definitely recommend it. Mm. It's 10 weeks long, like once a week. And I left it with, you know, five to seven minutes of material Mm. that was solid. Not, I say solid, but as solid as you can 
<laughs> get yeah. if you've never yeah. done comedy before. But it really was like a great course. When you finished that course, what happened then? What was the trajectory? Was it like, <laughs> done the course, guys, I'm nailing this, right? Yeah, and then... I think I can headline most clubs now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was, the, what, was the, um, what was the the journey in there at that point? So we had a graduation course, which went well. I did Jester Jesters was my second yeah. gig. Oh, downstairs? Yep. Like the but downstairs um in Farringdon, yeah. like yeah. The one that smelled of mold. Yeah, oh and I remember I yeah no I <laughs> I, I remember so I'd obviously the first gig that I ever did and I didn't go to open mics beforehand. Yeah. I'd only seen comedy live probably five to ten times tops. And I remember all the gigs. My first live gig, I was seventeen years old, Ingrain came in doing coral reef research and we went out and I saw Mitch Hedberg live. Wow. Yeah. Great. It was amazing. It must have been 98, I think. Yeah. And still remember some of his set list today. Yeah. It was awesome. And then after that, I went to the comedy store twice while I was in London. I definitely saw the same act coincidentally twice because I remember thinking like, oh, I've already uh, seen this joke before. Mm. Went to some improv Boston stuff in Boston yeah. and then... Saw a gig in Clapham Junction where I saw Boy the Tape on his face. Uh, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So it only seemed like a handful of pro nights. So mm-hmm. I had never gone to an open mic. And I went to my second or my first open mic because the graduation show was like sold out. All of your friends, mm-hmm. like really nice audience, yeah, like one of the best gigs you ever go to. <laughs> Everybody wants you to succeed. Yeah. So the second one I did, and I just remember being there with my sister because she had flown over to see my gig at Dangerous T Walks Down Stairs. And I just, I, 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 my sister and I were like, I, Jenner and they were like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> like, what? Did they just gonna let him on stage? Having no idea he was a comic because he's so engrossed in his character. Yeah. And I, like, I didn't yeah. even know what character comedy is. Like, yeah. so it wouldn't have even occurred to me that somebody could be a character, whether or not interesting is a character, but I'm assuming he's... Uh, I, I, I didn't mean, know. I mean, I, you've, I don't you've know. blown my I mind mean, like, there. I didn't know. Well, I, I, I don't know. It's weird. Some people skate the line. There's not really characters, but I mean, yeah. there are definitely people that are such an exaggeration of themselves that it almost is a character. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I just remember my sister and I being like, stand-up comedy! <laughs> and then when he got on stage and actually did jokes, we were like... Yeah. Oh, he's, like, written them. Wow. So then that was gig number two. I think gig number, like, eight or ten was a Mirth gig. It was Mm. my first open spot, booked to do a ten. Definitely had seven or eight minutes that I gloriously tried to stretch out. It was, oh, it was not a great gig. And for the first, like, six months of my comedic career, I only had career. Yeah. First time I, first six months of me doing open mics, I only had dirty material. Yeah, yeah so that was nice to do in Walton on Thames. And yeah, yeah I've Walton never seen, Thames. yeah, Mark oh. Felgate was headlining. I've never seen him get angry at an audience before, but they were just not nice. Oh, and wow. he like almost got off the stage and refused to perform. So it was gig like eight or 10, somewhere around gig like 30 or 40. And he got a wild card into the Bath New Act final. It was the year that Harriet Kemsley won. And I was the only person in the final who had been going less than a year. And the final was on a Sunday in Bath. And I had eight minutes of just filth. Mm -hmm. And that is not what a bunch of, like, middle-aged women in Bath want to hear on a Sunday night. Like, it's just, oh, Mm -hmm. it was, I did my set. Mm. (laughs) 
got my first bad review. Oh, no. But it was like, it's almost, I mean, I, I actually had this great moment because I was emceeing the Bath New Act Heats a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and hmm. Jeff, who runs, Jeff Whiting yeah. runs the competition, just came to be one of the judges. So I'm like going through and I was like, in my mind, I was like, all right, I'm going to keep it clean the whole time. <laughs> but yeah, we get to like the last section and somebody had done a bit about jizz. And so I brought up the bath final and I could just see Jeff in the corner being like, oh my God, like, stop telling these people that you died. And I was like, I was like, competitions are hard. I remember when I was in the finals of this competition and Jeff was just like, oh my God, shut up. And I'm like, because I was there and the review was like, are the new acts any good? Emphatically, yes. Yeah. With the possible exception of an American girl who just had a spectacularly obscene rant about her genitals. Yeah. That was your review. That was my first review. Wow. Which one of my comic friends was like, spectacularly obscene. That is an excellent poll quote. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, exactly. I was like, oh yeah, no, actually, that Great. is quite, yeah, that's mm. good. It still remains to be in my top five worst gigs ever. Brilliant. Yeah. Is it one you can like go, oh, Every time I look yeah. back up. Every time oh. I'm like, oh. Do you know what's <laughs> interesting though is that I met there is um another comic had brought his flatmate to the final mm. and I started dating him after that, mm. which was really odd. I was like, if you could see me die like that and still want to date me, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But no, who was else? It was Manos the Greek, who I don't think is still going, was in the final. Barry Ferns was in the final. Oh. Matt Dwyer, Amy Haverska. It's great, yeah. <laughs> Awful. It was my first proper death. Yeah. Though I mean, like we've all done the lines mm. then, but that was like oh, the first. That's a hard room, isn't it? That yeah, is a hard it room. is. Mm. I know. Maybe I'll go tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah just, I, to, just to feel the pain. <laughs> I like, know. I'm like, it's, it's okay if you keep buoyant, though. If you, you know, you, you knew you have no problem with that as well. Rob. Yeah. You're I mean, I'm seeing, so yeah, exactly. Could, but yeah, <laughs> there is a difference between like. So I had a really bad one recently. Where was I? Like, I was up in East London. It was one of the laugh train homes. Right. And it was... Oh, I haven't done that. But to the point where... So I MC that one every other week. And Sarah Isles does uh-huh. the other week. Oh, and Sarah was doing a gig mm. relatively close by. So came by just to say hi afterwards. Mm. And I genuinely almost got her on to MC the second half of the show. I was doing that oh. badly. Like they hated me that much. It was horrendous. Ugh. Like, horrendous. Oh. I mean, one of the audience members did give me his number, but I think it was more of, like, a pity thing. <laughs> oh, no, I need some joy here. You I know. Give me some oh, joy. my God. But that's how it goes sometimes, oh. isn't it? That's oh, how it goes. You, it was so yeah. horrendous. Yeah. So bad. There's a guy who came up in a wheelchair, and there was he was part of a group of four army guys in the front row, mm-hmm. right? Now, he walked in, and I was like, oh, where do you... And he was like, I brought my own chair. So you could tell, like, it's not like... It was somebody that mm. had a good sense of humor, sat in the mm. front row. Then one of the guys as part of the army group was just not, like, heckling, mm. really rude, really obnoxious. And the guy in the chair was just starred in Jack Whitehall's school. Oh, okay. that, some sitcom about sure. being in school. I don't know. So... The guy that was being not nice is like this jacked army guy with a bunch of tattoos and is like, but the man, I was like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm in IT. And I'm like, you're not like, you're not. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. IT guys don't have biceps. Yeah. Like, they're just not. So they're going through. And then the guy in the chair was like, oh, I'm an actor. And I was like, oh, are you famous? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, funny. I like, I believe you more. Because normally when you're I'm seeing and people are like, oh, I'm an actor. I'm in a lot of famous things. You're like, you're not yeah. like, you're not. And I was like, you know, I believe you more than mm. I believe that this guy is in IT. Mm. 
At which point, the IT dish guy just starts accusing me of being... I Like, it was just really awkward, but there mm. were only about 12 people in the room. So even though I was being completely normal and nice to everybody, yeah. it made everybody feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And then I start talking about my broken ankle, and it was two days after I was able to walk without an air cast. And oh, no. so I just say, <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to go into some material. I was like, I'm really excited. I can walk. And it was like, uh, <laughs> just like there's the wall. I, for some reason, I can't see this wall. That's it. But you're just like locked in. And went halfway through, you're like, oh no, I'm locked into this. As soon as I said, I was no. like, I'm so excited because I could walk today. Oh, and then God. his friend was just like, it was all over. <laughs> all over. Classic. It's like oh. sometimes you just walk into these minefields, don't you? You're like, yeah. oh no, I've totally put the little bit of The it is. So the guy, I mean, he was uh-huh. in Jack Whitehall's sitcom and uh. he does stand up and he had been doing stand up for a couple of years, but I think he took a break to get into TV. Mm. And he was talking to me after the gig and he wasn't offended. It was just that everybody else felt so uncomfortable by my awkwardness. And but I think it was like the most I don't think he he didn't mean it as an insult, but of course when I was really sensitive took it that way. But I was like, Oh, you know, can you see another comic that you haven't like heard of or run into on the circuit, especially in London? He's like I was like, Oh, where do you gig? He's like all over London. I was like, Oh, I'm surprised I haven't seen you, meaning like I'm surprised I haven't run into you on the circuit. And he was like and he just goes what gigs do you watch? As if I wasn't a comic and then I would only be seeing oh. him if I was watching comedy. Oh, and I no. was like, oh, oh no. man. Oh, no. That's it. Like, oh, dissing you every second. Like, every, uh, I don't think he, I'm hoping he didn't mean, maybe he did. I don't know. No. But yeah, it was. It's crushing. Yeah. That also made the top five. Where, I don't know why I'm just oh. highlighting all my worst no, gigs no, in my career. No. <laughs> you, you improv as well. As well as MC. No, I don't. And I really want to. Mm. I was supposed to do Second City at Angel. And then because I broke my ankle, I had to pull out. Very sad. I really want to do it. Did you do any, like, performance stuff when you were a kid? Or you are just, like, just total total, uh, intellectual (laughs) and then... I did, like, four plays when I was 11 or 12. I did... I can't sing to save my life. It's hilarious. Mm. So, there was one time I was the understudy to somebody and they dropped out. Because I had a song... The director of the play was like, this is going to be interesting. It was in Oliver. I was <laughs> <No>. like... <laughs> Who were you? I, well, I was... It wasn't even a big song. It was... I was like the nanny of the new family that Oliver goes to. So I had to do the Where is Love reprise. So I was like, where is love? Like, I can't. I'm such a bad singer. They were like, oh. So I did that. I was an accountant in Annie. Also not a very well-known part. Mm. I was in How to Eat Like a Child. That's it. Yeah. See, this is just, I, that's it. Like, it was just three plays when I was 11, 12 years old. Do you pursue any any acting or anything like that as well? Or? Nope. I mean, I would love to, but... Yeah. What's been the biggest hype this year for you? Oh, that's a good question. Apart from, like, you know, getting that amazing quote from the uh, Bath Club <laughs> Festival. I've gotten some good reviews <laughs> No, of course you well. have. I know you're great. You're great. I know. I am for Angel a lot, which is mm-hmm. always amazing. Yeah. I have my own club. Uh, doing Edinburgh was great. I think my best moment of Edinburgh last year was, you know, the show Hate and Live? Yes. Okay, so it's basically improvising Mm -hmm. on things that you hate. Just the first time I did the show ever, Rob Mulholland was on the panel, which I think he's won, like, more than most people. And just had, like, the best comeback ever to the point where all of Maggie's chamber, like, 150 people were like, what's up? And then I beat him, which was great. So I won one hate in life. But, yeah, it was a good moment. 
That's Cause it was just one of those improvised moments where you're just like in your face. <laughs> That's, and how, how many years has that been going? That's been going five years, isn't it? That, that show? No. At least three. I think it's coming on its fourth. They run it in London as well, don't they? Hate in life. Yeah, they're doing it actually at my club uh, in July. Brilliant. We're, yeah. Great. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. We'll see how everybody takes it in Clapham Junction, which will be good. Something different. That was a nice high yeah. of the night. But I've also, like, I've done some cool shows. I did Comedy in the Dark. That was great in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And they did it then. AAA was amazing to be a part of, but yeah. a very hard gig. Is that the one for Pleasance? Yeah. What was hard about it? What was the problem with that? Are they very middle class? Are they uptight? Or what is the, what was the kind of audience? What was the situation? I mean, it was 11 o'clock at night. It was tired. And it's a bunch of people who are just tired. You expect it to be rowdy and it's not. And it's just, they don't know what they're looking for. I went through a year of low confidence Mm. after that as well. Mm. I had, yeah. Because I saw you do your half an hour show with Dave Shawner in oh, Edinburgh yeah, that was... in 2014. Yeah. Yeah, that was because that was my first Edinburgh. Ah, and I, I saw you do your half an hour with Dave. Was it after that? Yeah, it was, right. the, it was the Edinburgh after that. Yeah. yeah, so after that, it was went through like a year of like questioning yeah. my material. Right. And then actually last year at the Fringe, like I just all of a sudden after about six months was like, you know what? No, I'm just going to. Mm. Right, a bloat of stuff started, and I started to just become really happy with my material. Mm. I don't know what it was mm. that flipped it. I don't know if it was just going, you know what, I am a good MC, or but it was. It started. I was writing a lot, and I remember when. So Russell Hicks, who's a good friend of mine, saw me at the beginning of the Fringe last year, and just afterwards was like, "You've been writing. You've been like really, yeah." Mm. And I was like, "Yeah, I have." Actually, I do have good jokes. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. all of a sudden, I was like, you know what? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'm not just going to be an MC forever. Yeah. I actually do. I mean, enjoy MCing. It's been really nice. And started writing, embracing, like, the science side of it mm. and talking about my family and, yeah, which I'm really, really liking, mm. which is good. Unlocking your, like, who you are already on stage yes. and making that funny. I'm good friends with one of the guys who runs Hot Water mm. um, in Liverpool. And I went up there for three or four days in November and designed their clubs. I don't know if you know, oh, they like, seen it. yeah, it's amazing. So I went up there with Binti and like, just mm. put the architecture to good use. I've designed the whole bar right. and the venue and it's, uh, hopefully will be done soon, but mm. it's been really great to be a part of it. But being up there, like did a spot and after spending four days with him, Binti was just like, you know, what? it's the more that I learn about you, the less impressed I am with your comedy because you're so interesting as a person and you don't talk about any of it on stage. Mm. All you talk about is dating. And I was like, yeah, you are right. (laughs) (laughs) You are really right. Yeah. So I've just been trying to then take like the math and science background that I have and then just re-filter it in. What your parents think of you pursuing the comedy as a career? It's fine. I think... (laughs) It's like they, I mean, they weren't happy when I ditched marine biology Mm. to go into architecture. I remember my mom saying, just get your PhD and Mm. then decide if you want to ditch it. Because they're very old school. And once I realized that, like, it's great to have dreams, but it's pointless to have dreams if they're not going to change over time. Mm -hmm. You've got to be open to your dreams changing. Otherwise, you're what, like, you're not going to be happy when you get there. Mm. So I know where I want to be in five years, but. I also have completely accepted the fact that it could be completely different than where I want to be tomorrow. So what's the five-year plan? Like, I love the fact that I'm a full-time stand-up, but I also need to do a lot of 
promoting and booking and there's a certain mm. chunk of my income that comes from that and I would love to just perform and write and I don't know I mean I'm close but at the same time the live circuit is dying so uh, yeah it's yeah. frustrating people keep telling me that it's gonna like it, it's gonna go go away for 10 years then come back Mm, I don't know. You look at the States. This is my comments, not as a comic, but as a promoter. There is so much out there, like Mm. especially in the last 10 years, you look at how much phones play a role in our life and how much there is on the internet and Twitter, Instagram. There's so Mm. much media. There's so much on offer that the most valuable thing becomes people's time, not necessarily money. Mm. I mean, obviously money when it comes to larger things, but when it comes to entertainment, spending 10 pounds on a ticket is a drop in the bucket. It's, you know, you'll spend the same thing on a burger. And so it becomes more about not wasting people's time and Mm -hmm. proving like you have to, in order to sell people, it's, it's not even necessarily the price of the ticket. It's Mm. the proving that it's going to be worth their time. And the problem is, is that there's so many different ways to make somebody look good Mm. that with the rise of media and TV comedy, the general public is relying more on TV credits. Yeah. For that validation, because you can't just say, this guy headlines clubs around the country. Mm. We did an open mic on Tuesday, and I was introduced as like, this girl headline clubs around the country. I don't. Like, I don't. That was a blatant lie. But mm. nobody in that audience knew that. And I was like, I don't, I don't know why you just said I've never told you that I've done that. But, like, there's nobody stopping you from doing that. Mm. So unless you have some sort of visu- visual proof or guarantee that somebody's going to be funny, yeah. then the general public doesn't know that unless mm. they are a comedy fan. Yeah. And so inherently, it's up to the performers to, like, prove themselves. Yeah. And it sends up a really weird relationship because you then need TV names to sell a night. Mm. But then I think that it's a heart is going to sound very controversial, but it's something that I like, it kills me that I can't just book whoever I want because I want to. And I know that some of the best comics not on TV. And I know it's up to me to create a reputation for the club that anybody can go and play there. And Mm. And it's slowly getting there, but it'll take years. But what really helps is when you get all the support acts bringing their A-game and showing up and being so good when they perform that they have to get booked to headline. Mm. But it's hard because there's a lot of animosity. So you get people either showing up and going, I'm going to be unstoppable. I'm going to be so good that you have to book me in headline. I'm going to be so good that you have to pay me more. And I'm going to be so good that people are going to walk away tonight going, yeah, that TV person was funny, but the best person on the bill was the opener. Right. right. And that would be ideal because then mm. slowly the more that people go to clubs and the yeah. more people see live comedy, they know that actually you got to trust the club more rather than the credits. Yeah. But when people show up and go, I should be headlining this gig. I was headlining gigs five years ago. Mm-hmm. Now I'm only opening. I'm just going to chuck in a bunch of new stuff. I'm going to phone it in. I'm not going to try. Mm. The problem is, is like, sure, I know you're not getting paid to headline and that is not fair mm. that the industry is changing, but it reinforces the stereotype to the public Mm. that you need TV credits to be funny. And so it's really hard Mm. to have to worry about that constantly. And the industry is changing, but I think that it's also, it's in the hand of the promoters to do it for the right reasons. Mm. Uh, It's in the hands of the promoter to generate a product that can be trusted regardless of who's on. And that comes with not ripping off acts, Mm. not ripping off the club, but actually paying what, they want and actually trying and making sure that there's not 10 people in a room so that people actually come back. But it's also up to the acts to actually go, 
this is what's worth the money. I'm worth the money. Like, it's a tough thing. You're trying to change people's just opinions of, of what the circuit is. So they go see live comedy now and they, they just don't don't have any respect for it. Right. As you say, because people do exactly what you said there. They just go and go, oh, do a couple charge of new material. Charge five pounds to do yeah. a new material night or yeah. charge five pounds. Not a new, because you can get pro acts doing new material and that mm. is worth five pounds. But charging five pounds to go see an open mic. Mm. Really? Exactly. Have a bucket at the end. Mm. Absolutely. People can pay what they think it's worth. That's mm. fantastic. That's but like, mis-selling nights... It's yeah. frustrating, and so I think that the live circuit doesn't have to die, mm. but then you look at the states and go, you look at all the clubs in the states, and, you know, mm. you're either famous or you're nothing. Yeah. Like, I go back there, and people are like, I can't believe you've been going only five years, and you're making a living out of it, and mm. it's because people actually invest in live comedy. People mm. will pay money seven nights a week to mm. see comedy, yeah. but we have to not abuse the general public's... Yeah. willingness to do that the trust because it only yeah. takes two one or two nights mm-hmm. of them paying five pounds to go see a no-name open mic comedy night mm-hmm. that is not worth that and then they mm-hmm. never see live comedy again and they don't know the difference between an open mic and a pro show yeah. because both of them have quotes that's true that's both true. of them have stars mm-hmm. both of them have the best comics on the circuit mm-hmm. you know like it's of course. Yeah. yeah that's how many clubs you run now it's a hard question so I have left train home mm-hmm. um, which has is every Wednesday in Battersea we are starting at the Honor Oak on Tuesdays in June and technically we're in northeast London at People's Park Tavern however on Thursdays we have our last show this week Mm. taking a break over the summer and mm. that is one of those ones where I was not promoting that one I was just booking it mm. and promotion is not working and I right. again don't want to continue a club the promotion is not yeah it's not hitting not hitting but do you take a break from all, all the clubs or just that one club in uh, just that one no right. yeah Battersea runs every week yeah. and the Honor Oak we're just doing June and July for previews and starting up full time in September but yeah see how it goes and what else do you do to like you know because they say it's difficult you're you're promoting do anything else as well in the part time to get you, get you through the, the tough months s- months no, and really. I mean I book for I book for Laughing Horse and that's very mm. random one-offs corporate mm. stuff so yeah but that's it do you do corporates yourself no <laughs> I mean if there is I mean I have done yeah yes no I mean well I I so I write poems for well, okay. my um not for like I've done it emceeing. I do it for bucket speeches, for fringe as well. I'll write a poem throughout. Like if I'm doing a two-hander or something, mm. I'll write a poem and or a compilation show yeah. and end each show with a poem about the audience and work it into the bucket speech. Mm. So my water polo team asked me to do stand-up at the annual dinner, which is a massive piss-up and like... They had had an after-dinner speaker a couple of years ago. Mm. This is not... They did not want stand-up. Like, mm. I knew that. So, I then <laughs> talked to a couple of the coaches and the male captain. Because mm. there's, like, the women's team, the men's team, and a bunch of old men. And I secretly got a bunch of dirt. And then I wrote a roast poem. They all thought I was going to be doing stand-up. And I just came out and just pulled out dirt that nobody thought was public knowledge and just laid it out on the table. And it was amazing because they were like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> so, yeah, I've, yeah. Uh, that's what I've done. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So and you do you write do you write poetry as well or I just calling it just poetry is like it's loosely. It, it's not. It's yeah. rhyming couplets. Right. It's not poetry. OK, it's, cool. Yeah, uh, you're not going to go to slam poetry nights now. And go, oh, God, no. This is it. This is about this is about me. 
first time I did it though, because I used to write poems for my water polo team before every game as like right. psych up. And then whenever, when I was at my corporate job, anytime somebody would leave, I would write like a leaving poem and bring up yeah. like all of the dirt right. that they did or like funny quirks and mm-hmm. make them humorous. And it was like the Robin poem. Yeah. All right. The first time I did it was at the Brighton Fringe a year ago maybe two years ago when i was emceeing pick of the fringe and but i like tripped and like dropped a mic but then kicked it and like hit this woman in the knee with the mic it was so awkward and i like had to go and get her ice like it was ridiculous and yeah Yeah. and so how i came up with when i did that when i was on stage i was like i need to like do something nice for her i'll just write her a poem Mm -hmm. so i just wrote her a poem like on the spot and yeah, yeah. so that's, oh, that's what, cool. what I do they're all yeah. like yeah. yeah that's it I mean I'm sorry about your knee but here's a poem look I, I don't have any money but this is this is my yeah. creative time I've spent writing this yeah book. exactly got something to take home with you please don't sue me <laughs> yeah and so you do, you're doing Brighton soon in yes. a couple of weeks is that right a week and a half oh. the fifth and how and the preparation for that is going good oh, I don't know I, don't know. <laughs> I well you saw a preview yeah. a few days ago yeah that's great. I really enjoyed it. It was really good. It was really good. Thanks. Like, I'm doing an hour in Brighton. Because mm. I thought I was going to do an hour in Edinburgh. Yeah. And I'm not doing an hour in Edinburgh. I think that I have 35 minutes that is good mm. and coherent. Yeah. And then I have about 15 minutes which are being worked on, yeah. primarily tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going to take one gig. That's mm. it now. And... I really need to work on the ending, which yeah. is something that we were talking about as well, because yeah. it just got super cheesy. So I think yeah. I'm going to make a scrapbook for the end of the show, but I'm right. not really quite sure. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Where are you in Brent? So I'm at the Quadrant at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. on the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th, which I really thought was a bank holiday. It means that I'm on a Monday that nobody's going to come oh, see me shit. at yeah, 6 p.m. So Quadrant at 6 p.m., 5, 6, 7th, and 8th, and then I'm at the Blue Man, the 18th, 19th, and 20th. What do you do in your, t- in your time off, apart from, like, at the moment, fixing your ankle uh, yeah. and not moving it as much? What do you do, apart from that, to kind of, like, you know... I cook... You cook, that's your thing, yeah. Yeah, I cook a lot. Right. I love cooking. Right. I, I've been cat-sitting the last week. Oh. That's been fun. <laughs> Does that sound with a hint of sarcasm I, there? What, no, what? I, I hate cats oh, so you? much. Are you allergic as well? No, I wish I was. Yeah. And there'd be like a reason mm. as to why I hate them, but why do you why what is the why they're just evil and do you like dogs then yeah I'm a, dog I'm a big person. dog person I just right? don't give a shit about no, you that's true I need something to, I need something to need me as well yeah I'm the same yeah and He's, the only reason why those cats liked me is cause like I'd be obnoxious to them and like right. yeah you just gave them what they gave you that's what it is isn't it they're like yeah, yeah that's and then it. they're like oh but we want you to love us and I'm like I don't want to love you and they're like please love us <laughs> but I did do an Instagram post every day on the mm. cats which I got more attention there than I have so what? so now I'm like I know and then I was like I need to find another thing mm. that I can do on Instagram every mm. day and now I don't know yeah it's clickbait isn't it that's all it is but yeah, yeah you know but yeah, it's, it's frustrating. What else do you write for? Do you do write any sketches or any any so just purely stand up? No, I yeah. I mean, I am getting. I'm doing more storytelling nights, which I'm 
really liking because I know that I'm most engaging on stage when I'm telling stories anyway. Sure. Apart from that, I used to play water polo. Yeah, I before your ankle. Yeah, before the ankle. So you're going to go back to it? Yeah, as soon as I can, but mm. I need full reconstructive surgery in oh, September. So. Mm, it was skating. injured before then. I'm really hypermobile. Yeah, which means I can bend in like weird ways. So... Yeah, like... Handy for stage, lunging. Uh, yeah. yeah. I could get out of handcuffs. I'm oh, really? Sure. I've never tried. Wow. So I realized that sounds bad. As oh, no, that... On my bed. <laughs> I can get out of handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> um... No, no, keep going. Keep going. Right. So, yeah, so handcuffs are no, not a problem. Uh, hyper mobile, right? Yeah, and so basically tore all the tendons. Oh. I, it started, I used to box quite a bit. So, cool. But then... So tore my tendon because of the boxing. Right. But then had surgery six years ago, was re-injured, got ignored by the NHS for a year and a half. Mm. Oh, despite me repeatedly going in and asking to see a specialist. It helped me. Yeah. yeah. And I fell down the stairs, oh. at which point they finally were like, oh, okay, you can see somebody. Mm. After I fell down the stairs, cracked a rib and injured the ball of my foot, finally got to see a specialist six to eight months later. Oh, okay. Like that was them fast yeah. acting. Then the guy just treated me like a number was like just stick some cortisone in it and i was like there's a problem with my ankle Mm. so flipped out yeah paid a lot of money to go private for one appointment Mm. realized that i can't do that yeah but then when i broke my ankle stopped the doctor that i wanted Uh. and went to his the a and e in his hospital yeah it was like it's really lucky that you came here and i was like no it's not (laughs) and now i'm finally on their team and for the first time in over two years i have been listened to oh thank god right yeah yeah and they were like yes you have the ankle of a seven-year-old woman whoa you have torn tendons on the inside and the outside of your foot. You need your arch reconstructed. You need, like, to, the issue, like, basically, they just, like, admitted everything that was yeah. wrong with my foot yeah. and were like, but because I had just had surgery fixing the bone, I can't go into surgery again because I have no muscle left in my leg. Oh, whoa. So I have to build up muscle for the next four months and then go into surgery again. And that's going to be not painful at all, isn't it, building yeah. the muscle up? And you kind of need your both feet, really, to do stand-up, don't you? I mean, otherwise you're going to have either the comic with a hook, isn't it? It's like, why would your leg wear? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it's, oh, I have one, like, 30-second aside that is funny, but... <laughs> It's <laughs> just, but then you're like, it's my life, and it hurts. I know, like, I it's don't, so I'm so sick of talking about it. <laughs> I'm sure I can see it right. Been back to the States to do comedy. Yes. Yeah. I have, like, a weird relationship with Boston. Like, I'll gig when I go back. I'm not there frequently enough to mm. be part of the scene, but I'm there often enough that I'm not, like, just a novelty visiting. Yeah. I don't know. I'm yeah. in this weird in-between state, so there's a few gigs that I'll just do, yeah. but... I also feel like unless I have a completely new 10 every time I go back, it's not worth it to go because they run through the material so often that it's like, I feel like I'm being judged and I don't love it. Right. So so New Hampshire is Boston, right? No, I lived in Boston. I went to university in Cambridge. So I lived in Boston before moving over here. Hard rooms over there? They're not hard. There's just not a lot of them. And it's just, again, the circuit is super small. Is it, right? Yeah. After gigging there for like a week or two, you saw the same people over and over and over again. Okay. And yeah, it's just, it's tough. I need to. I'm being a, I'm being a weenie. I haven't gigged heavily there since I had my 
confidence drop. Okay. So I think that was part of it. And like in December I was sick the whole time. So I just did one, I do a storytelling night every January when I go back. And so I, I should really go back, but there's like, I just, I get, I get self-conscious because right. I know that they're all judging me because I'm the foreigner. <laughs> you say, oh, that's great though. I mean, but I mean, like, but, but like, but like, because you feel that you're from there, yet you're, you feel that you're not. You're yeah. Not, I get it. So then they'll introduce me as like a London comic and I'll be like, this is my accent. <laughs> and then, but it's also like everybody, because people are so curious as to like styles across sees that i mean if an american comic came over here and was visiting everybody would be like i want to watch the american comic you know so it's it's so it's not their fault that they are but then i get really self-conscious like oh i'm good enough and i don't i don't like it and so i don't know and their open mics are something else oh my god there's one every tuesday that a friend of mine runs and i mean i've taken photos of the sign up list because everybody who wants to can sign up and everybody gets five minutes and it's, it gets like 55, 60, 70 people long. And it just starts at nine, no break, just all the way through. And it is the very first gig I did in Boston. My sister came. Cause again, my sister like wanted to be there for my first gig in Boston. Cause she's such a good friend, but she had like twin boys that were less than a year old. She has like this really high powered job, like had to be up at like seven o'clock in the morning. And we're sitting there at like quarter to one in the morning. And at that point, like, I think we got there at eight cause the guy running, it was like, show up. Like you don't have to show up early. Other people mm-hmm. do, but don't worry about it. You come from London. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So I show up. I was like, Oh, I'm the one who emailed you. Now, the thing, in hindsight, he, if I had said I'm the one from London, he would have, like, bumped me to the top of the list. But I said, I'm the one who emailed you, and he was like, yeah, like, everybody else has emailed me. Mm, of course. So I went to the back of the line, and then at quarter one, I was like, it's just, I'm over here from London. He was like, no. Oh. And so put me on, but my poor, oh, my sister was, like, waiting. And the thing is, they don't have audience members either. It's just comics. But then half, most of the comics are in the back of the room talking to each other because mm. it's, like, quite a social thing. And so you get, you're basically talking to a crowd that nobody is listening. And it's just the most heartbreaking <laughs> thing. Uh, it's, I don't know. But then if you know people, then you, like, go together. Like, if we are to go together, then we both listen to each other's set and they like, oh, that thing you did there was great and mm-hmm. da-da-da. You know, like, the mm-hmm. cake that I was at last night was excellent for that reason. But, oh, man, it's just... And, and it's, you get absolute nutters as well. They mm-hmm. go up there, like, uh, I, I don't want a guy who's my friend who MCs it. You know, I can remember the first time I went with him and he was like, you're with me, so I'll uh, put you on early in the night. How about uh, 12th, 13th? And I was like, oh, my God, that's early in the night. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, no, that's early in the night. <laughs> that, is, that is the sweet spot because the first five people, people are still figuring out that the open mic has started. So the first yeah. five people really don't get listened to. Oh, and no. so the sweet spot is yeah, between, yeah. like, 7 and 15. And right. you're like... Oh my god, it's so hard to fathom. And so this absolute knitter goes up there and says horrible things. And he just goes up there as the MC afterwards and was like, All right, if any of you guys in the audience were playing open mic bingo, feel free to cross off racism, <laughs> like murder and robbery. We right. almost hit pedophilia, but I think we ran out of time. Oh. And it was the funniest thing I've yeah. ever seen. It was just like anything. Wow. 
it, like wow. still 50 60 people on and like, oh, yeah. wow that's crazy oh man yeah that's uh from coming from because you're learning comedy here and then going back to boston to do comedy do you notice a, a massive change in style in in your in the, in the way you would yeah. deliver something i have a very british style okay with an american accent so sure. it's a bit weird but yeah, a very British style. And it's... Dissect it. What's the... What is the there's difference? There's no fat on their words over there. Right. It, yeah. And there's not... Granted, this is, again, three years old. So... Because oh. I haven't really gigged a lot there. But mm. it's, it's more about, the, like, the writing. And they also, I should say that this is just Boston. Right. All right? Like, I don't really sure. know a lot about any of the other cities. And I know that Boston is very unique in its mm. stand-up and very unique in the way that it raises stand-ups. Yeah. But it's very writing-heavy, like yeah. very dry delivery. Mm. Like, there's no fat on any of the mm. jokes. There's no extra words. There's no, like... It's not really about the performance of it. It's about, like, the actual jokes. Mm-hmm. And But it, it's hard to describe mm. the style. But, it like, Nigel Long has a very American style. Mm. If you've seen him, like... There's no going higher or bigger on the end. You got to be this. The joke has to be solid, or it's not going to land at all. Like yeah, you know, but it's it. also not like a lot of activity or action, or you're not getting extra laughs because you're making funny faces. Yeah. It's just like yeah. the writing's good. And one of my friends had explained that in the first four years that you're doing stand up in Boston, like they know that nothing that you write in the first four years is gonna you're going to be using later on in your career. Mm. It's just not going to be good enough. Mm. So you might as well use your first year, four years to learn how to write. Mm. So they just chuck out material all the time, right. all constantly. Yeah. You just write it, throw it out, write it, throw it out, yeah. write it, throw it out. And so you're not honing or like, yeah. there's not that process of like, I'm going to hold on. I have mm. a joke that I did in my very first gig. I've done it on stage over a thousand times. And granted, the joke has changed yeah. tremendously. Uh-huh. There's a lot more punchlines, every beat, every word in that. Is like I could do it in my sleep, yeah. and it's a solid joke. But I've been doing it too long. Yeah. I should throw it out. I won't, mm. but I should throw it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should also listen back to how it was the first time I did it. I'd be interested to mm. hear that. Anyway, the evolution. Do you like it? Do you have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks and stuff? Yeah, and yeah. do you go through those notebooks? Yeah. No, I. I mean, since the evolution of the smartphone, I have a note. That I keep adding to, and event sometimes I'll go through that. But do you get paranoid that it's going to update? It's going to wipe it. I always get paranoid. No, because any idea that I've had that is worth it, I don't write enough. Right. I should write more. Right. I I need to write more. This is why because it, I am so easily swayed. This is why I don't want the responsibility of promoting or booking at all. Because even if I have just like a tiny bit of booking or promoting to do. <laughs> I will let that take up my whole day <laughs> and not write at all. So yeah. if I have nothing else oh, to do yeah. except for write. Mm, mm, yeah. Then it'd be great. I could just wake up and write. Like, and I'm like, oh, but I was supposed to do that thing, and I was supposed to do that thing, and I was supposed to, ah, uh, mm, yeah. I could just do that, and mm. like, oh, what are we going to do? Speaking of which, have I tweeted recently? Or yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have this problem as well now. Like, I've, I've got like five things still in the day, and they go, right, I'll do that. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I've done that one thing. But then these, these three things, there's like at least three hours in between that one, that thing and the other thing. Oh, it's, a, it's cutting things a bit fine. <laughs> do, you know, do, you, do you ever get that? I as would well? never be able to write in three hours. Just, <laughs> exactly. I know, like just the call my good comment before is like, I've been putting my phone on airplane mode because I can't focus otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. It's constantly going. And I know I need to just put it on airplane mode, wake up, first thing you do, write. 
That's it. But did it, like going for it's like going for a run or a distraction yeah. or whatever it is like that, isn't it? It's like right, I need to do this now. And do you do you meditate as well? You can't meditate. I've just started to try and meditate, right? And it really has helped an awful lot. It just shuts my brain down that little bit to just go right. Okay, it's level now. It's like the beginning of the morning. You know, it's like that morning where you go. Okay, I'm not thinking about anything. And then you look, pick up the phone, and then it's all over. As soon as you pick the phone up, it's all over. Because sometimes you're staring at it, you don't know why you're staring at Isn't it. Isn't that for. just sleeping in? Uh, like with meditation? Yeah. <laughs> yes, but you have a choice. But it feels like you're doing something correctly. It's like, oh, I'm just this fine. But then you're like, you've already brushed your teeth, you've already had a wash, you're sitting there. I haven't brushed my teeth yet. Okay. <laughs> but that kind of thing, you know? So start <laughs> meditating, it helps. <laughs> but that means I have to brush my teeth first. No, I... <laughs> just adding more to my list, Winter. I know. I have a to do list out there that's genuinely 32 things long. That's too big. That's I know, I know, but there's like, oh. No, no, I used to, I had that as well. Uh, that was crushing me. That was, I was literally yeah. being crushed under the weight of that list. Uh, of, like, I had about the same amount. I was like, an A4, full cap. It's like, this, the post-its, always just three. And I, I mean, I, I'm only just learning this, right? And occasionally I will look at that other big list and go, I can't do it. But now I've just started to do the... I can usually get through 15 or 20 things in yeah, a day. Yeah, you see... Quantitative mm, self-worth. Yeah. Uh, the queen of multitasking then. Yeah, this is why I like working for myself, because the thing is, is that even if you're procrastinating, I procrastinate productively. Okay. So it's like... I procrastinate one thing by doing something else. You just improv So then I... Yeah, so I will get things done, but usually it's the admin side of things rather than the writing things. In a way, that's a good way to to work as well. To be really efficient with admin, yeah. Because you surprise yourself, don't you? You go, oh, I'm doing this thing now. Oh, I didn't. This is a thing that I didn't want to do, but I didn't. I'm I'm avoiding this other thing over here that yeah. I don't want to do. And then yet. all of a sudden, your house is clean. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. And so it doesn't seem too much like work then, and you eventually get round to that other thing, but yeah. it take a while because you get sick of doing the thing that you're procrastinating with, yeah. and then all of a sudden that becomes the most that's, fun. That's it. Interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. an interesting method. It's sort of like just fumbling around doing the 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 list without actually doing the list. Yeah. Tai Chiing the list then really isn't it? You're yeah. not really <laughs> Tai Chiing with improv. Like, <laughs> what have you got coming up in the next few weeks or months? If you want to see my show, yeah. I am in Brighton, London, and Edinburgh. Yeah. So it's all on robinperkins.com with a Y, Robin, yeah. like the singer, but I can't sing. So <laughs> right. But I'm at the Quadrant, 5th, 7th and 8th at 6pm. I'm at the Blue Man, the 18th, 19th and 20th at 5.45. Then I'm doing a preview in London mm-hmm. at the Fourth Eves on July 9th. And then I have nights that I host. I'm in Battersea almost every Wednesday. I will be at the Unroke every Tuesday over the summer and then September. I'm at Angel like four or five times a month mm-hmm. hosting there. And I'll be doing some work in progresses there as well, yeah. which will be fun. And apart from that... I can find you on Twitter at... Robin H. Perkins. Robin H. Perkins. And on Instagram at Miss underscore Robin underscore. (laughs) I'm liking Instagram more. See my cat posts. Like my cat posts. (laughs) Miss Robin. Well, Robin Perkins, thank you for coming on the Comedy Defects. It's been great. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Cheers. And that was episode 47 with Robin Perkins. Very funny comic, great MC. She MCs The Angel four or five times a month for Barry Ferns. Go check her out in London. She's also taking her first hour show around the country in London, Brighton and Edinburgh. 
The dates for the Brighton one are in May, which is 18th, 19th and 20th of May at 5.45 in The Blue Man. There's a date in London, which she's previewing her show, and the show is called Robin's Bad Decision Time. The preview date for London is July 9th in The Four Thieves. You can see the time for that on Robin's website, which is robinperkins.com. Robin with a Y. Go find her on YouTube. Go follow her on Twitter. Go find her on Facebook. Go follow her on Instagram. She's got loads of cat pictures she's going to be putting up soon. She's a great comic. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at The Comedy Defect. You can follow me at Winter Phonander. You can also come see my live stand-up gig dates, which are on my website, which is winterphonander.com. And details of my previews of my hour show at the moment called Tolerance, that's going to change, are on my website, which is winterphonander.com. I need you there to bounce some stuff off, to work some stuff out. I'm also looking at the Guinness Encyclopedia, taking as many jokes out of that encyclopedia as I can and putting them on Twitter under the title The Book Dad Read. Twitter handle for that is at Guinness Jokes. As I said to you before, after episode 50, this podcast will be reduced to one or two a month. It will still be released on Wednesday to keep updated of all the things that are happening on The Comedy Defect join the Comedy Defect Facebook group. If you want to support this podcast, you can. Go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast and can donate as little as a pound or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. And those of you that do donate, thank you because you're paying for the people that can't. And those of you that can't donate, that's okay. Just share your favourite episode. Tell your friends about it. Go to iTunes and leave us a nice, honest review because it tells people where we are and what we're doing. And that's it for this episode, episode 47 of The Comedy Defect Podcast. Next week, we've got a very funny comic. He's been going 10 years. He's gigged all over the world. It is very funny, Julian Dean. And that is for episode 48. We'll see you next Wednesday. Have a great weekend.